free grace of God calls us to something. It calls us to walk in the grace of our Master. I can tell by the sobriety that's here tonight. There's kind of a heaviness here. You know why? Because the cross is beginning to loom in your vision. And we hate it. We don't run to it and embrace it. No, we hate that cross. Because it means I die to me so that someone who's unworthy may profit. Not just someone I like. What does the Scripture tell us? Oh, for a good man, some would dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, ungodly, Christ died for us. The cross is at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's also at the very heart of walking with Him every day. A disciple was and is a learner who shows his allegiance to the one who teaches him. Traditionally, Strong groups that had great teachers continued from generation to generation because the main teachings of the Master were considered important by the disciples. Why is it that we still have socialism with us? Well, because there are people that when they read it, they go, hey, this is great stuff. This is the way men ought to live. I don't know Mr. Martz. I don't know Mr. Lennon. But hey, this rings with me. This is the way we ought to be. And so they get it, and they read it, and they study it. You go read some of the biographies and find out what men had to do to become communists. You don't just become a communist. They make you take the book and learn the teaching, and then walk in it and propagate it. They're disciples. Brethren, on the basis of just what the word means, many that call themselves Christians today are utter strangers to Jesus Christ. Because they don't know His book. They don't know His teaching. I don't walk in it. And they certainly don't promulgate it. Smile, Jesus loves you. Have a nice day. Bye. Brethren, this is vital. People are running around all over the landscape going, oh, we've got to have another movement. We've got to have this. We've got to have that. Uh, we, the church is in bad shape. We've, you know, uh, uh, we need a family movement. And the family movement's okay. And, and, and oh, we need, a, we need a Holy Spirit movement. And we believe in the glories of the Holy Spirit. We, we've got to have this kind of movement. We've got to have... No. We need disciples. People that learn the doctrine of their Master and walk with Him. Amen. Otherwise, it's not Christianity. It's something else. It's a deformed version. Do you know the Master and what He says? Do you know what He's called you to? Look at Mount Hermon up there. Look at that beautiful setting. 
and hear the voice of the Master. Come and die. Come and die. Well, what are these requirements here? Well, first of all, there is taking up the cross. Now, let me try to set something straight if God will grant me the grace. You hear people all the time. It, it, you don't hear it as much as you used to because we're really a post-Christian nation now. But something you used to hear is, oh, well, that's just my cross to bear. Oh, uh, you know, the wind blew uh, the clothes off the clothesline today and after I washed them, they're all muddy again. And Well, that's just my cross to bear. Well, you know, I'm sick. Uh, uh, my, my back hurts or, you know, my, my various organs are giving me trouble. Uh, that's just my cross to bear. Brethren, that is not true. Amen. That is a perversion of the truth of our Master. What is the cross? The cross is whatever you and I need to shoulder to follow Christ. It will be different for each one of us. But it's an instrument of death and death to me. Whatever it costs to follow Christ, whatever you encounter that means you need to die in order to honor Christ in this, that's the cross. Don't dishonor Christ by going, oh, flat tire today, just my cross to bear. No! When there's that hard head in the assembly that irritates and aggravates you, and you would wish God would do something to them so that you could enjoy church better, the cross for you is to die to yourself and find out how to wash His feet. Taking up the cross. It means, this word take up means to lift up for the purpose of carrying. It's, it's the idea of getting under something and coming up under that weight. Brethren, it's, it's not easy. That's the point. Our Master fell under His cross. You may expect days of stumbling under yours. We've got to Take it up. Why? Because of how lively the self is. It doesn't die easily. It's extremely resilient. Not only that, this cross is something that we're to take up daily. He says, deny yourself daily. Now, let's, let's admit it. If the Lord said, now look, once a year, I want you to suck it up and just deny yourself. Now you know we'd hate every single year coming up on the calendar, that date. Oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm doing what I want to do, but oh, it's coming. It's a day closer, it's a day closer, but on that day, okay, I've got to die. The Lord didn't say that. He didn't say once a year, once a month. He said every day. That means... On days when you don't feel well. On days when you don't feel like it. On days with people that sometimes you'd rather grit the enamel off your teeth than have anything to do with. And yet that's brother or sister in Christ. So we don't mind dying for our, our buddies. Christ said, die for the ungodly. 
and then following after Christ. Those are the requirements. Take up. Take up the cross. Deny yourself daily and follow. Can you imagine that? Follow carrying this big heavy thing called denying myself. That kind of makes Christianity sound like a drudge, doesn't it? Man, who wants to do that? And I'll tell you what, that's one of the reasons you can fill so many of these great big old buildings. There's no cross in them. Happy, healthy, joyful all the time. But where's that call that the Master gave to all of His disciples? Where is it? Well, it's not only hated because of its requirements. It's hated because of its rigid exclusivity. It's hated because of its rigid exclusivity. And what I mean by that is he said to them all, if any man in Christ's school, brethren, there are absolutely no exceptions to the requirement. And I can tell you that it's in your flesh and it's in my flesh to want to be just that one exception the Lord has. You know, Lord, I'd really like to take up that cross today. It looks so heavy and I'm not feeling all that great. And I don't know if those people are really worth it. And I skipped class today. That's where the flesh runs. That's outside the school of Christ. Each and every disciple must adhere to his demands. Now, there are no special cases. There aren't any loopholes. There are no workarounds regarding Christ's condition of discipleship. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, says this. <clears throat> Let's all look at that one together. If you'll turn over, it's just a couple of chapters. It says, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. You get what Christ is saying. Now, the word perfect there means matured, fully trained. It doesn't mean flawless people. But what he's saying is this. You'll never rise above the master. There's not a different path. There's not a different path for you. There's just one. And it's under that cross. It's under that cross. It's rigidly exclusive. Every single one of us must. It's also hated because of the cost. It's not only because of the requirements. It's not only because of the rigid exclusivity. It is also because of the cost. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And let's look at verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. 
Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Well, that's the sound of religion that's uh, working its way to heaven, isn't it? Well, look what I've done. I did all that. See, the Lord Jesus Christ knew this fellow. I don't mean personally, necessarily. I don't know that. But he knew his heart. And he knew how to put his finger right on the issue at hand. He didn't argue with him. He just said, Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest. You missed something. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come. What? Take up the cross. And follow me. Look at verse 22. And he was sad at that saying. He was sad at that saying. Friend, are you sad at that saying? You see, some have taken this to mean, oh, well, if you ever have money or any kind of riches, it's wrong, and, and, and the only way to be a disciple of Christ is to just sell everything you have. That misses the point. Jesus was dealing with this individual because this, this fellow was proud of his law-keeping, but the Lord Jesus Christ knew that he was covetous. He knew that he was an idolater. And what did the Lord put in front of him? The instrument of death. You really want eternal life? Come die. It's not that we earn our salvation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about our discipleship. We're talking about walking with Christ. You see, what does Christ put His finger on? Not simply a sin of idolatry. He poked His finger right in the man's self. This is what he lived for. This is what he was. And the Lord touched him there and said, come and die. For each of us, it'd be a different thing. But it's there for each of us. Family, look at chapter 14 of Luke. Go back to Luke for just a minute. And look at 14, 25. We not only have to die to ourselves, we even have to learn how to die to those closest to us. Verse 25, it says, There went great multitudes with Him, and He turned and said unto them. Now, what kind of preaching was this? Today, we'd be thrilled to have a great multitude coming after us, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we be thrilled to have a great multitude cramming the doors to get in here tonight? The Lord Jesus Christ has these great multitudes, plural. And He turns around and He says unto them, If any man come to Me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he might not, cannot be My disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot 
Please listen to the Lord's words. Not mine. Cannot. You're not my disciple. You haven't learned what the teacher said. You're not doing what the teacher does. You cannot. These are eternal words. But notice what he says. Now, he doesn't mean, I trust you understand, that we should work up some kind of violent animosity toward our mothers or fathers or our children. That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying, when it comes down to walking with me and the affections or the regard of even the closest to your bosom, there's one choice for my disciples. Come die. Come with me. He's the lover of our souls. He won't share us with others in that sense. Self, family, you see, it's hated because of the cost. Some of us know in this room the agony of following after Christ and watching family members go away. What were you experiencing? The cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. It's not only hated because of the cross, it's hated because it's the proving ground between love for God and love for the world. Self, family, world. I mean, much of today's professing religion here in our, our nation is... All this in Jesus too. Right? Everything in my liberty. Jesus died on the cross just to make me His free man so that any filthy thing I want to watch on television, don't tell me I shouldn't do that. That's legalism. I can do anything I want. I can wear anything I want. For people to come in and actually take commands from God's Word and apply them to my life. That's Phariseeism. Form. Structure. We hate all that. But listen to Jesus. No man can serve two masters. Won't happen. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot. Cannot. The word means ability. There is no ability. It is impossible for you to love them both. You can't serve God and mammon. First John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father, listen to John, not me, listen to John the Apostle, the love of the Father is not in Him. I don't care how many times you've walked the aisle. I don't, know how, I don't care how many times you've, quote, rededicated your life. I don't care how many cards you've signed. I don't care how many religious formulas someone has been able to manufacture your religion through. The Word of God says you cannot love the world and love God. You cannot love and ape and want and covet the world and follow Christ. You are deceived if you think so. 
These are not my words, brethren. They are the word of Christ. Look at the cost. It's the proving ground between what you love. Oh, I remember back when I used to still throw my, my money away on Hollywood that uh, I watched a film once, a very foolish one, about a fellow who had uh, came up with a silly little invention and made him unbelievable amounts of money. And uh, he and his wife went from being dirt poor to being extraordinarily wealthy and rich. And then they lose it. They lose it because these lawsuits crop up and attack this invention that he's made. It causes all kinds of problems. And the next thing you know, he's lost every penny that he has. And his wife is sitting on the floor weeping and crying. And he says, it's all right, sweetheart. We, we don't need the money. We have each other. And she said, it's not the money. It's the stuff. That's our culture. We live for our stuff. Go look at a house that was made 50 years ago and look at the size of the closets. And go look at them today. We got stuff. We live like we can't be happy without our stuff. I'm not against technology. I love air conditioning. <laughs> I love ice cubes. I'm not against these things. But the thing is, that which draws out our heart and has our heart's affections. This is what he's talking about. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not, here it is, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. That he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What's the will of God? Believe his precious Son. Trust him for your righteousness. And follow him. If any man, if any man, It's also hated because of its simplicity and clarity. This is not complex. This is not hard to figure out. It's hard to do. We know what it means. And we'll find all the commentaries that we can to try to help us get around them. But it means come and die for the well-being of others. Lay yourself down that others might have good done for them and those who are unworthy. This is what our Master did and that's why we're here. How could our lives be any different and still call ourselves disciples? Now I'm going to take in our last few moments just a few minutes to try to set before you why I think instead of this being the most hated doctrine, and it is, and I can tell you that your flesh cringes at the thought of it, just like mine does. But I'll tell you why it ought to be the most beloved. Why we ought to find ourselves utterly thrilled with it. And why we ought to find ourselves embracing it with great zeal. Number one, 
It should be the most beloved doctrine because when we take up our cross, we put to death that which has caused us and all of those around us the most grief, shame, and heartache. The self. The cross puts an end to consuming envy. It does. The cross puts an end to towering pride. We're so wonderful. The cross puts an end to blazing lust. The cross puts an end to withering, harsh anger. And much more. What will your life be tomorrow if in taking up the cross those things begin to become invisible in you? You know what people would see? They'd see your master. And that would be very good. That's what we want. We want a lost and dying world to know that the gospel really transforms people. That it takes self-righteous, selfish sinners and in His glorious grace, in His wonderful righteousness, in His Holy Spirit, His perfect Word, and in His church, His disciples begin to be more and more like Him. And that brings glory to our God. And you know what? It makes those that are hungry desire to know your Master. Secondly, it ought to be the most beloved doctrine because when we take up our cross, and don't miss this, we enter into blessed fellowship with Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And brethren, when we stumble under our cross, the one who fills our heart and lifts us up and gives us strength to go on the next day is the one who fell under His. We fellowship with Him when we take up the cross because we're being like Him. He likes that. Brethren, those of you that believe in the sovereignty of God and predestination, what does it say? Having predestinated us to be conformed to what? In the image of His Son. How can you have images of His Son that are not under the cross? It ought to be the most beloved doctrine because when we take up our cross, we learn of and receive the power of Christ. Listen to, listen to what Paul writes. He says in 2 Corinthians... Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 says, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. Don't we? Those of us that are His children. We that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
Now he that hath wrought for us, or wrought us for the self-same thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Therefore we labor that whether present or absent, we might be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of... God, I'm sorry. I knew that wasn't going where I wanted that to go. I mean... Oh, that's, that's right, chapter 5, yes. And the last one, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. He says that we're, the day is coming. We groan. We want to be clothed with what is immortal. Why are we groaning? If everything is just supposed to be health and wealth, why would anybody groan? In fact, Paul didn't seem to understand the doctrine of faith often being taught here today. Why are you groaning, Paul? You ought to be happy if you had enough faith. He's groaning because, brethren, Paul is talking about a life that understands we will stand before our God. We'll give an account. This is not a legalistic thing. We're just going to give an account as stewards of who and what we've been. Would Are we ready to appear before that judgment seat of Christ unclothed in His righteousness? Well, of course not. The only way to stand before Him is in His righteousness. But what kind of life did that righteousness produce in us? Something under the cross. Paul says in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians verse 9, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches. That's the cross. In necessities, in persecutions. There's the cross. In distresses for Christ's sake. He's describing here a life of the cross. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I'm become a fool in glorying. But all of this, brethren, once again, in this somewhat lengthier message than usual, is that when we take up our cross, we learn of and receive the power of Christ. He grants us His great mercies. And it is there that we find the power of Christ. If you're full of yourself, you're not finding the power of Christ. Let me press on and be done for this evening. This ought to be a beloved doctrine because when we take up our cross, it dispels our sin-laden delusions and wakes us up to holy reality. Under the cross, friend, what I'm telling you is you find out who you are. You came into this world with a higher estimation of yourself than is real. And it's under that cross when you're trying to love that brother that you don't feel any love for. It's when you're trying to do something for the, your enemies that hate you. 
And you don't feel like doing something good for them. You don't feel like praying for them. But your Master has said, pray for them. You find out who you are. But you see, that's good news. Because when you see who you are under the cross, you'll cleave to Christ in His grace. You'll cleave to Christ in His grace. And brethren, what would you have? More than that. It ought to be a beloved doctrine because when we take up our cross, when we willingly execute self, our homes become more blessed. Tell me that there would not be on the face of this earth a more blessed home than a husband who comes in from work and instead of going, all right, wife, now wait on me. I've had a long day. That comes in and blesses his wife and encourages her and looks for things to do for her, for her well-being. Sweetheart, did you have a long day with the children? Let me take this over tonight. Wives, if you died to yourself today and just look for ways to serve your husbands and your children, would it not be a more blessed home instead of making it, demanding that it revolve around you and what makes you feel better? Children, same thing. Our homes become more blessed. Our jobs become more blessed. And friend, I tell you, our churches become more blessed. Because we come here as those bearing the cross of Christ, dying to ourselves, and looking for how we might show the love of Christ that He's taught us under that cross to one another. Finally, and this is the most obvious, when we take up our cross looking for the good of others, dying to ourselves, we become like Jesus. Is that not the point? I say to you again, those of you that love predestination, what do you think the point of predestination is? It's for you to be like Christ. Not just in the sweet by and by. But now. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, verse 8, uh, verses 5 through 8 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, the living God, the Christ of God. Go back to the garden with His disciples. Who am I? but made Himself the Christ of God of no reputation. Born of poor virgin woman and her betrothed who were so poor, read, their offering was all they could bring was the turtle doves. That was the, that was the offering of those who couldn't afford the animals. The living God, born of poor parents, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Stop and think with me. Paul says, let that mind be in you. That's the mindset. That's the way to think. Brethren, that's biblical Christianity. 
This is not legalism. If you're hearing legalism, you've got so many filters up you can't hear the Word of God. There's not a drop of legalism in this. This is learning how to walk with Christ. By His grace. It's all of His grace. But it's taking up that cross so that we might learn to die to ourselves and show them to others. He was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. That's our mindset. So let's go back before Mount Hermon and let's hear those strange words of Christ again. If any man will follow after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself daily. Brother, this is what the Master has said. Let us give ourselves right here in this room to that very thing. Seek Him in His grace. This is not something you can work up in yourself. This is something you go to Him for. Ask Him to teach you from His Word, lead you by His Spirit. Day by day as that cross looms, remember that it's making you more like Him who loved you and gave Himself for you. I think that's the most hated doctrine in the world. I've seen Calvinists that won't do it. I've seen Arminians that won't do it. I've seen Pentecostals and Charismatics and Lutherans and Presbyterians that won't do it. May the Lord make it the most beloved doctrine to us. Let's pray. Father, in the cross we have life. In your cross we've been saved. And, O Holy Father, this should be a most beloved doctrine to us. No, nothing ever takes the place. In fact, Lord, I said thee, I meant a. The most beloved doctrine in the world to us is your glorious saving grace. But a most beloved doctrine for our hearts and souls should be this very one. Teach us and help us. For we ask Thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. 
and remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.